The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, it's a brand new week. Welcome back to Afternoons with Mike. Heard daily here on the Shepherd Radio Network. With me today, a young man that I met. I call him young because when you're my age, uh, Demerick, everybody's younger than you are. So that works for you. Demerick Patton is with me today. I met Demerick at a leadership meeting. What about uh, six weeks ago or something like that? And Demerick is part of Crew based in Orlando. Can't wait to hear his whole story and to introduce you to him, to my new friend. So, Demerick, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me today, Mike. This is really a lot of fun to have folks like you who are out there doing the work for the Lord. And from all of the different, my goodness, in your work, you you actually work with a lot of people who are working just everyday, regular type of jobs, entrepreneurs or or people who work in offices and a lot of the work that crew would do, which once obviously for our listeners benefit used to be known as campus crusade for Christ. A number of years ago, they rebranded into crew and uh, you, you are part of the crew. There you go. Yes, that is correct. So I used to work on college campuses Uh and that is what most people know crew for. Some people know that crew also has family life that they're a part of crew. And then also Josh McDowell ministries and the Jesus film. Those are the more famous ministries of crew, so to speak. But yeah, crew rebranded because originally when Bill Bright received the name from a personal friend who said, Hey, here's a name you can start with it. Bill Bright said, yeah, we probably won't keep it for long because campus did not represent the fullness of the vision that God had given him for the ministry. Mm-hmm. The campus was the starting place at UCLA in 1951, but it was to move out from there. So it's been going on as Campus Crusade it had its beginnings then at UCLA. Yeah, that's correct. I did not know yep. that. 1951 was uh, Bill Bright received basically a vision from the Lord after going to church one day in September of that year. And uh, he just began to write furiously. And the full vision that he received from the Lord that day was never fulfilled in his lifetime. It doesn't mean that God still isn't going to fulfill it at some point. But he wrote it down and he was really excited about it. And he told his wife, Annette. They started going to UCLA daily and sharing their faith. And in that first year, they saw over 200 people come to know Jesus. From personal ministry, that is just, that is such a a marvelous thing. When a guy gets a vision, like you said, and he didn't just receive it, he wrote it down. Yes, he did. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that he didn't have all of those things fulfilled in his lifetime, but thinking about what he did. What what he was able to get done is pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So I I got to meet him a couple times. I read, you know, a few of his uh, biographies. He didn't mm-hmm. have any autobiographies that I know of, but he was one of what I would say. I don't have a lot of superheroes, spiritual superheroes, so to speak, but he was one of them because right. he, he was, was a faithful. lot of people's. Yeah, yeah. He he was faithful to the Lord and he was really bold and it wasn't his natural bent to be outgoing. But because he was so committed to following Jesus, he was outgoing. He shared yeah. his faith with everyone that he came across that he could. Now, he stayed out west. I believe you were in the Colorado area before, right? Did the, Or was it always California? San Bernardino area is where the headquarters okay. were. The Arrowhead Springs is what they, the specific area where the head, first headquarters was mm-hmm. before moving to Orlando, Florida. They did look in Colorado before settling upon moving to Orlando. I think that's uh, James Dobson Ministries that moved to, to yep. the Colorado Focus area. Focus on the family Focus is there. Focus on the family, Navigators yeah. is there, and there right. are a few others, yeah. So this is uh, really, it was a really big deal when they moved to Orlando. That, that uh, made a lot of news and a lot of uh, Christian publications. They were watching that. It was going to be a big thing. And I just wonder, that's a cross-country move? What was that like for people who were part of that and actually had to go all the way across the country to move to Orlando. Yeah, I remember hearing stories about there were many staff who decided that they loved where they lived, and it's hard to pick up your family, and so they stayed in California, and so they had to hire a whole bunch of new people for the headquarters activities 
when they moved here and they first landed out by the airport. They had a place on Sunport Avenue, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And that's where the headquarters was temporarily while they were building the new headquarters down in Southeast Orlando, which actually kicked off the whole Lake Nona area was that move. Is that right? Yeah. And so, now, now, I know it's a lot of medical stuff down there too right now. Yeah. Yeah. There, it, there really is. There's a, there was a guy who um, had, had been in a meeting with a bunch of other businessmen. They'd rolled out the red carpet to Bill Bright. And this guy said, Hey, we're going to make it happen for you to come to Orlando. And so then he actually just went to his other friends and said, okay, now make it happen. <laughs> so these other guys had to make it happen for Bill Bright to actually move the headquarters here. But what they did that was they went to a guy who had a whole bunch of orange groves out in that Southeast part of Orlando, yeah. which was, near the airport, but there wasn't any development yet. And they said, Hey, you'll be able to sell this land for a lot more if we are able to run utilities down there. And so what they did was they talked to a guy named Charlie Gray and Charlie Gray is really the one that made this happen. So Charlie Gray is a lawyer in town. He's the guy who basically built the 408 and a lot of the turnpike that we have throughout Florida. Um, as far as I know, he's still living. He would be in his nineties, but Gray and Associates is is uh Isn't that right something? downtown. I did not know and that. so he, he talked to one of his friends who owned the Orange Grove, and I don't remember this guy's name, but but he said, Hey, why don't you tithe 10% of the land to crew? And that'll all get utilities down there from the city and the county. And then that will jumpstart the area. And so then he was able to sell his land at a higher price. Now it still wasn't as great as what the developers are getting now, clearly. Yeah, right. But that <laughs> jump started. A lot. Yep. Yeah. And then and then crew was able to share some of the land with Wycliffe. As far as I know, they gave it to him. And then I'm not sure how Pioneers got down there as well. That could have been part of that land deal or it could have been separate. But yeah. those three ministries are all really close together. You answered one of my uh, other questions. I, I remembered that there was another major ministry that came down and it's kind of like sharing some of the space with them then. Yeah. Yeah. So Wycliffe, Wycliffe Bible Translators yeah. is right there. And so they... They partner together on translation. Wycliffe is doing Bibles in different languages all over the world. They will have teams that will usually, it's like a couple, maybe it's a uh, team that's bigger than that, but a couple will go to an indigenous tribe and they will live there. They'll learn the language if they can, and then they will start to translate the word of God into that language. And they do book by book. And it is, it, it can take a lifetime to do the whole Bible. Yeah. You know, that was the way it was always done back in the day when Bibles were printed. I mean, you know, we've read stories, we've seen pictures about what translators had to do. That Obviously, they didn't have the printing press early on. They didn't have the ability to replicate the That's word right. the way we have it today. And I think it's safe to say that Americans, they really take the Bible for granted. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think we know how great we have it that we have all these translations. We have these Bible apps. We can listen to audio Bibles. We know that faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. And so we should be listening to it. Yeah. We, we have it on our phones right there, but yet, yeah. you know, we listen to a bunch of other things uh, besides the word of God. Right. We do. Well, this is really exciting to have you here and to get an update from another crew member. I've had the privilege of knowing a lot of people with that organization over the years. It's a little different than a lot of ministries in the sense that you are, are actually almost like an entrepreneur yourself because you raise your own funds. And that's got to be a kind of an ongoing process. Like a missionary, when they, when they do it, they'll do it on a furlough. And they'll like uh, come to the United States and maybe work for what two months or three months, raising maybe the next two years worth of support. And I know for you, you've got to. I don't. You either do it like that, or you're in an ongoing process. I don't know which of those two would best describe what you have to do. Yeah, it's kind of both for crew staff. So initially, when you join the staff of crew, you have to raise a certain amount before you're allowed to go and begin serving within your actual assignment. So once you reach that amount and you're at your location, then is it, it is expected that you will continue to raise any necessary support along the way. Yeah. Unless you get into a position where it's just dire and then you have to pull out of your assignment temporarily to make sure that you're fully funded. 
So it's a big organization, and there's a lot of organization in it, obviously. And it's a, a well, well-oiled well machine, clearly, because yeah. it's worked for a long time for a lot of people. Yep. Bill Bright was maybe the first to go to the crowdfunding model in modern society. Um, and the reason why he did that is because he was raising all the money for the organization to start with. And then when it got to a certain number of people, he just couldn't raise the money any longer because he was spending all this time raising money mm-hmm. and less time really executing the vision that God had given him. And so that's when he changed the model and said, hey, everybody's going to be responsible to raise their own support. Mm. How many years now have you been on the staff? So I joined jo- on the yep, team. Yep. I joined the staff of Campus Crusade in 1997. And my first assignment was right out of college. I went over to Spain and I served there for a year in the city of Sevilla. Mm-hmm. Worked with college students there. So you're headed, it's over 25 years for you then. Yes, it is. Wow, that is amazing. What did you do before that? So I studied uh, meteorology at the University of Kansas. I grew up in the state of Kansas. And Were it, you going to be a weather guy? Yeah, and actually I... I mean on TV weather guy? Well, I thought about doing TV. I really like forecasting, so I thought... I want to do something where I actually get to forecast a lot of when you study meteorology, it's physics, it's, it's fluid dynamics. So you're looking at the atmosphere as a fluid. And so there's a lot of areas you can go into research. You can go into programming. If you want to actually create the programs that do the modeling of Mm -hmm. the atmosphere, that's when the meteorologists talk about models. There's a lot of different things you could do, but I loved forecasting because I, from the time I was eight, I loved the weather. I started um, studying it when I was eight. Went to the library, got as many books as I could on the weather, learned as much as I could. And then as soon as I was 16, a neighbor and I, we started storm chasing. So we started chasing tornadoes uh, at that time. Now, I read that about you, and I didn't have any detail about it. So that was all born out of your love for weather. Yes. Not yep. just tornadoes. That's right. So <laughs> I, did, I really enjoy the weather. So even when I moved here to Orlando, I had a, a lot of friends who knew that I studied meteorology. So if there was a tropical event that was potentially going to affect our area of central Florida, they would start asking me what's going to happen. So I was texting all these people and my wife said, well, why don't you start a Facebook group? So I did that. And so it's called Demerick's Hurricane Group and it's on Facebook and it's an open group. So if you wanted to look there, if there's something that potentially it's going to affect our area, I do post updates there. Isn't that something? So this is like a fun little hobby now for you. Yes, it is. It's a lot of fun. You know, I did weather on TV for two years. Did you really? Yeah, back in the uh, mid-70s. Wow. From 75 to 77. And uh, that's what I was doing when I first got married, actually. I was on the air. And during that time, I never went to school for, uh, back in that day, they would use announcers like myself, people who did voiceover work, or maybe was the station voice. And that's what I was. I was the main announcer for that radio station, but I mean, TV station, but they hired me uh, also to do this. And so every night I got to be kind of apprentice at the National Weather Service uh, at the airport. So I would go down, have dinner, maybe have dinner with my wife. Then I would head over to the airport and these guys would teach me meteorology (laughs) for the for two years, I got to do that. That That's was a blast. Awesome. Yeah. And you learn enough that that uh, you feel like, well, at least now when I'm talking about it, I have a little bit of background information. I can at least halfway sound like I know what, what in the world I'm talking about there. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Mm. Well, that's really great to meet another lover of weather. That is so crazy. Are you one of those that every time a storm comes out, you like to go out and watch the lightning and all that? I do like watching storms still. Yeah. So I... I won't go stand out in the lightning. No, and, no, no. I wouldn't do that, man. But, uh, but I will, <laughs> Not a good I idea. Will go outside. I'll go in the garage or I'll stand on the porch, at least where I'm covered. Yeah, yeah. We have a back porch and I love to go out there and just watch it. It's incredible. You get to see God's work mm-hmm. in a different way and it's always amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is. Well, that's really fun. To, a little side thing about you that I I only saw it on your, your uh, biography the word storm chaser. And I was going to ask you about that thing. What in the world? Yeah. What is that all about here? Well, Demerick, you know, you, you obviously are working for a ministry. How is it that you came to know the Lord to begin with? Yeah. So when I was five years old, my parents were a part of the Jesus movement, I guess you could say in the seventies. So this would have been the late seventies. They did a home church in our house and someone else was leading it, but they asked my parents to host. Mm -hmm. And so I heard him talking about Jesus. So I remember asking my mom when I was probably five, 
how do you become a Christian? What does it mean to ask Jesus into your heart? That was the language that I heard at the time and understood. And so she explained it to me. And I believe that that's when I made a decision. And the Mm. way that my mom came to know Jesus was watching uh, Billy Graham on TV when she was 13. How many people have that as their background? Yeah. And so she basically led her whole entire family to Jesus, including my dad. And um, so that's wonderful. Our legacy is Billy Graham and then highly influenced as well by Bill Bright. Yeah. That's right. And you mentioned, uh, did you have a chance, I'm sure you did, to watch the Jesus Revolution movie that came out? I haven't watched it yet. One of my daughters did. They said it was really good. Oh my, I think you'll enjoy it knowing that your mom and dad were so influenced by that whole movement. I think you'll find it because I was right there with that too. And uh, my wife and I watched it. It was like, it was like watching a reel from our lives. It was crazy, (laughs) you know, because of what was happening in in the world. So I I thought it was a great depiction and uh, Greg Laurie, his role in obviously in that the person that played him, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Greg would feel did him justice. I, I I don't know all of those details, but boy, that was an interesting thing. I think you'll really enjoy watching it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to see that and to realize that your mom led you to the Lord shares the gospel with you. And from that moment on, you're a believer. That's right. And so I, that that little church that started in, in our house merged with another little house church. Then they got a building. Then that church merged with another one that became the church that I grew up in, which was a little church in Emporia, Kansas called 12th Avenue Baptist. It mm-hmm. still is there today. And I'm going back to the missions conference this in two weeks. Oh, um, that's so great. Yep. Now, did your dad ever hold any type of position in that church? I think he may have been a I don't know if he was a deacon or, or what he did. He did, he did different things mm-hmm. in the church. And then my mom was really active in the church as well. But very involved, obviously, yep. in something that they had a chance to be like. Back then, they wouldn't have used the term, but they were kind of like church planners back in the day. Then. Yeah, they really were. I don't think they would have thought of themselves that way. Yeah. They were just uh, experiencing a move of the Holy Spirit. They were wanting to seek God and know his word. And so they met together with others. Did you stay with your faith all the way through school? So I ended up, I, I never turned away from Jesus. I was always praying. I'd read through the Bible for the first time. I think by the time I was in eighth grade, I had a youth pastor that was meeting with me. But when I was in high school, I didn't have any Christian friends around me. And so I got bored and was just hanging out by myself on Friday and Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going out with friends and then, uh, I, I hadn't even, even ever drank the first time I decided I'd smoke marijuana because I was like, well, I'm just bored being at home and I want to do something. So I did that. And then I ended up drinking and, and, um, just, there was a a time of about two years where I'd smoked marijuana. And then one time I think I was drinking and smoking marijuana. I thought I was going to die. So I did one of those things that you make a deal with the Lord. I was like, Lord, don't get me out of here. I'll never do it again. Don't take my life. And then I'll, (laughs) I I won't smoke marijuana again. I didn't say I'd stop drinking. So I continued to drink until, um, I went up to the university of Kansas. So I first started at a, at my hometown university, Emporia state university. And I I went there because I could get some of the basic credits for my major of meteorology of which I would need to study at KU. My opportunity was to play tennis for two years on the, at the university level. Oh, wow. And so so that's why I stayed for two years before going up to the University of Kansas. When I went up to the University of Kansas, the first 10 days I was drinking, I probably got drunk each night. Oh, wow. And on the 10th night, the Lord came and spoke to me in what I would have to term the internal audible voice. It was like, it was a real voice to me. Well, hold that thought. We're up against a break. Yeah. We'll pick up on that story when we return. Demrick Patton from Crew is my guest. We'll be back with him in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, Call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling 
an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. My guest is Demerick Patton from Crew. He is uh, based in the Orlando area. Fascinating uh, story that he told us about how he came to know the Lord, his mom leading him uh, when he was eight years old, and like many people, uh, kind of veered away, and that's kind of where we are in the story. We came up to the break, and he was telling us about going to Kansas and and having this little habit that you had about a, a drinking. And so finish that story, if you will. Yeah, so um, I had been drinking heavily for about 10 consecutive nights, and I was up on my bed, and I just, you know, I didn't feel real well because I don't think anybody who drinks that frequently would. Um, but I suddenly heard God speaking to me and I knew it was God right away. When, when God speaks, you don't in that way. Yeah, you I, know don't, it. Yeah. I don't think you have a question. Yeah. And so for me, it was an internal audible voice, but it was just as good as audible in terms of what the conversation was. And, mm-hmm. and I knew who it was right away. It was Jesus. He came to me and he I had known his voice in different ways when I was younger, but not really this clearly. And so he said to me, Demerick, you can either choose to lead your own life or you can allow me to lead your life. And right away, I just surrendered everything. And I said, Lord, I want you to lead my life. I don't want to lead my life because I knew I was going down a pathway of personal self-destruction. And so this was when I was 20. And there had been other things that I'd been struggling with. like, Like these are the early days of pornography on the internet and other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right right away, everything that had been holding me, that was binding me, just fell off. And so it was a special period of grace that God gave me. That's wonderful. Of where I just, I clearly was hearing him. I wanted to be in the word. I'd always enjoyed knowing the Bible, but I hadn't necessarily just been like, oh, I really want to know the Bible. I really want to know what God has to say. God is speaking. I didn't, you know, it kind of seemed more like a history book at times or a theology book versus God wants an intimate, personal, dynamic relationship with me. Yeah. His word and his voice by his spirit. He wants that for me. And so that was life changing for me. Now you have described a very intimate encounter with God, with Jesus, Mm -hmm. when he speaks to you like that. And I've talked to a lot of people who've had similar type of things. Now, I know in your ministry, you probably talk to people all along who can't even conceive of that concept of, uh, of God speaking to their heart. How do you, when you tell that story to people that you work with, what is, what would be their reaction? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, I think most people knew I had a true encounter with the Lord, even though that may not have been their story because my life was changed and it stayed changed. And so you look for fruit, you look mm-hmm. for lasting fruit. And so for for people who haven't had an encounter like that, I think they have a hard time believing it just because it's not within their experience. Their experience, that's right. And, it, and, and that's okay. And so you can't create the experience for someone. God is sovereign. God chooses, and God has a different way for each person to encounter him. He's very creative in that way. So with some people, it's much more you would say experiential, powerful. There's a, a certain amount of revelation that can happen. Yeah. But when I talk with people who, there's a lot of times that I'll meet non-believers who have never um, encountered the Lord. And so because the Lord spoke to me that way in the beginning, I learned to actually grow in hearing his voice. We know in John 10, 27, that Jesus had said that my sheep, my sheep know yeah. my voice. Mm-hmm. They know me or they... Yeah, they know my voice. I know them and they follow me. Right. And so we follow him because we know his voice and he knows us and we know him. And so therefore, as I really got to know the word and I got to discern between when is it, you've probably heard of the four voices. The four voices are, there's the voice of the world, which is influencing us through culture. There's the voice of ourself. There's the voice of the enemy. And then there's the Holy Spirit's voice. Those are the four voices that can enter into our mind at any mm-hmm. given time. And we have to be able to discern between the four voices. And so over time, I realized when 
God was speaking versus when it was any of the other three voices, which we can all be moved by those. And so in that, I learned to discern the voice for other people. And so people who had never encountered the voice of God before, and I still do this just as a habit, but I'll meet people that I've never met, whether it's checking out at, at the grocery store, going to a restaurant, or just someone that God highlights. Some, somehow I'll know something about them or a question to ask or a, yeah. a story. Just and like so, a gift of discernment right in that moment, right? Yep. Yeah, and some people will call it the gift of prophecy. It's just God yeah. wants to speak to people. And so, yeah, discernment, prophecy, words of knowledge, those types of things where the Lord would just, I, I would just ask him a question because I believe that we have to ask people permission. Mm-hmm. Jesus would say, do you want to be healed? He didn't force anything on people. And right. so I would just ask a question and, and just say, yeah. okay, I think that God just said something to me about you. Would you like me to share what it is? And it's just really easy because everybody's like, well, heck. Uh, yeah, if it's God, I mean, yeah, let me hear it, huh? <laughs> yeah, so then it then it's an easy transition. And if it's accurate and it's right, um, which, you know, I haven't really had anybody ever tell me it's not, then they're encouraged. And now they've encountered that God actually speaks to people. Yeah. Now, you may have chosen me, but they're going to find out. He's been speaking to them their whole lives because we know that that the Father's drawing all men into himself. He's drawing them through right. Jesus or through the Spirit. He wants them to know his Son. And yeah. so not everybody's going to respond. We know that. That's also biblical. But we know that he is, at least no one's going to have an excuse when they stand before him because he was doing everything he could to give them an opportunity to receive him. You know, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well just like that. Mm-hmm. He basically, in her words, said, this man has told, told me everything I've ever done. Yes. And, and there's that, I heard years ago, an expression Boy, this guy went. He he said something to me. It was like he was reading my mail. Mm-hmm. It's like he overheard my morning conversations. You that's know? right. That's the that's what happens when God uses you that way. And you're right. I mean, you can't be guaranteed. You can't always. Uh, I, I I love it when uh, the scripture talks about we prophesy in part. That's right. We don't. We're not God. God is God. Mm-hmm. Jesus was right all the time. Mm-hmm. We're not. No. No. <laughs> but it is. That does not mean that we can't be used like you're being used. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that that became a really powerful part of everything that I started to do after there was really helping people to encounter God's voice. Yeah. Now, if they don't know the word, they could easily be deceived. So they need to know the word of God because God's not going to ever contradict what he's already revealed through the scripture. However, we also need to trust that God is living and active. And so we know that's his word, sharper than a two-edged sword. But at the same time, the spirit is living and active in us. That's right. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within us and gives life to our mortal bodies. So we need to be listening to him, keeping step with the spirit. And that's one of the ways we can do it is just by saying, hey, I'm going to take time to listen to what God is saying today. That's beautiful. Demerick Patton is my guest today. Demerick, your wife is also on the team with you at Crew. And you guys both, you do this together. How did you meet your wife? Yeah, so she um, spent time in Spain after I left. She arrived about six months later. And she was in a town called Malaga, which is to the south of Sevilla, where I first served, about two hours by driving. And so I knew a bunch of her friends. She was from the University of Colorado. She actually grew up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and then went to the University of Colorado. And I uh, went to the University of Kansas. The way that crew was organized the University of Colorado and the University of Kansas were in the same region. They had mm. to break it down to regions because it's such a big ministry. And so because we were in the same region, we went to the same country. And I knew friends of hers. Um, my roommate actually had received a prayer letter from some of those people. And he would just post it up on the refrigerator in our house where we were living. He was on staff as well. And we would pray for different people. And so in this prayer letter, I saw a picture of the team that was in Malaga that was in Spain. This was after I had started to serve at the University of Kansas. Um, I went back to my alma mater to serve with crew there. And in that picture, I saw a picture of Beth with this whole team. And I just said, she's cute. And I said that to my roommate. (laughs) He said, don't even think about it. She's dating someone else. And she's staying for another year. And I said, I was just saying she was cute. Right. And I think I even said something to the effect of, well, it's not like I'm going to marry her. And so, <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Uh, so I found out later she wasn't dating anybody. 
um, my roommate had the wrong information there. Oh, there you go. Bad intel. But uh, yeah. she she came to this conference where the crew staff would go take a bunch of college students out in Denver. She was bringing some Spanish students, and she was translating from English into Spanish for the Spanish students because she became extremely... Uh, so I'm trying to think of the right word. It's not it's not uh, when you're fluent, but it's bilingual. It's close to bilingual. Uh-huh. Um, but she she was able to speak very very well. She was a functional speaker then. Yes, right? she was, and mm-hmm. so she she was able to basically translate everything that was necessary. And she was so good uh, within the language that when she came back from Spain, she was able to go into medical clinics and hospitals and translate into Spanish. She, the one thing she would need is a Spanish-English dictionary for the medical terms because <laughs> Who, most of us don't even know those in English. I'm not so. sure the doctors know those either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I happened to meet her at that conference. And so that's that's how we met is oh, that I remembered great. her name. And I, I, I would say that that was the Lord because I didn't always remember people's names. And so to see her picture and prayer letter and then remember her name when I saw her, uh, that was definitely the Lord highlighting it for me. That's so, great. Yeah. And you have three lovely young ladies yes. as uh, your children. God's bless you, man. Yes. Yeah. We have three girls. Uh, one's a senior in high school. Another one's a sophomore. And then the youngest is in seventh grade. That's wonderful. And my wife, Beth, actually teaches at a little private Christian school here in town called Trace Academy. And that's where our seventh grader, it's K through eight. So our seventh grader is there. And my wife teaches humanities right now. And she's able to do that with with our crew, crew with mm-hmm. crew part time. And mm-hmm. so that was started by some crew families that to explain what it looks like, it's kind of a hybrid model uh, for those who go to private school. It looks like a private school for those who homeschool. It looks like a homeschool co-op. It's five days a week. Yeah. They wear uniforms, but it's run by the parents. Yeah. What I have loved about learning about crew and their kind of philosophy of ministry is that it's not, they have a, if something is in the box, if it's all boxed in in crew, it's a pretty big box because there are so many different ways that you see people serving. There are people who serve, like you said, on the Jesus film. I think that's probably the most common way for when people have heard stories, they think about Campus Crusade or crew uh, with these things. I did not realize that Josh McDowell was actually under the umbrella of crew as well. I did yeah, not know that. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, that's that's good. And, and then you have people like yourself that would be more like niche type of, you've got a niche here of in uh, maybe different than other people and that your heart is really helping people who are working here in the U.S. That's their job. Mm-hmm. And so many people, and we've talked a lot on this program about marketplace ministry and the effectiveness of serving the Lord wherever you are, whatever your job is, do it as unto the Lord Mm -hmm. and, and realize that God's using it. And that's right where he wants you to be. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm passionate about the marketplace because Jesus said several different things that, you know, parables, people would say he talked about the marketplace of money 80, 80% of the time in his stories that he told in his mm-hmm. parables. And then he said, do business until I return. And so we could take that as always telling a story, but oftentimes that story is pointing to who he is, who the father is. And so uh, the marketplace was very important in that time. The marketplace hasn't stopped being important. That's right. Um, we will have work in heaven. It will look different as we know in the old Testament. And I say, as we, I'm sure that many of your listeners know this, but the word avoda in Hebrew is the same word for work and worship. So our work is worship and it's been that way from the very beginning. And that's how the Lord will look at it in heaven. We will have work, which is worship. It'll be fun. And those will be the things that we'll, we'll experience in heaven. It'll be extremely fun. So we're not going to sit around and eat heavenly bonbons all the time. No, You know, I I believe heaven is really, really exciting. I believe everything that we have on earth is actually a shadow of what is to come. It's a type. So you look at scripture, there's a lot of typology there. There's a lot of foreshadowing of what is to come. And so what we have on earth is showing something that already exists. And so oftentimes when we receive technology here, it's because it existed first in heaven. Of course, (laughs) it first exists with God. There's nothing, nothing original. God is the only originator of all things. We can do recombinations. We can receive inspiration. We can receive revelation and those things. So all inventions are going to come down from the father of lights. He's the one that's giving these amazing ideas to people. So what I am passionate about in the marketplace with entrepreneurs to speak to that, what you mentioned is that I believe that we are to look at the scripture and then integrate that into everything we do. 
so I look at, well, what was Jesus's dream? When the disciples came and they asked him, teach us to pray, he said, pray this way. He said, Father, hallowed be thy name. So first it's worship. And then he said, then pray that my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that that is the vision, or you could say the dream of Jesus. He wants to see what was lost in Eden restored because heaven was fully integrated with earth in this realm at the time. And Adam and Eve were told to expand the boundaries of the garden all over. They were to take dominion. They were to take dominion of the rest of the earth, which was in chaos because the enemy was out there roaming. So they were to take the kingdom everywhere. So when you understand kingdom theology, that's what it's going Mm -hmm. back to. Sure. Well, the first Adam failed, so the second Adam came, and he lived a perfect life, and he reinstituted now this kingdom mandate to take the kingdom to the earth, to the world. So when we are in the marketplace, the question that I believe that if we can answer this question, then we can change the world. When we ask the question, okay, in my job, in my vocation, in my industry, how am I supposed to bring heaven to earth? And we ask Jesus, we ask the Holy Spirit, how do I bring heaven to earth in my job? How do I bring heaven to earth in my business? So as entrepreneurs who are starting out, if they can answer the question, how do I bring heaven to earth through this business? It changes the way they think about it. Right. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. I could give you lots of different stories of businesses who are doing this, who have done it, and others who are aspiring too. But there are people who are truly bringing heaven to earth. They are. And they need to realize that they're doing that and be satisfied and content with it. I find so many people that I've talked to over the years, and I know, Demerick, you have as well, that have grown up thinking that the only way to really have validation as a minister is to work full-time in a church as a pastor or a missionary or whatever. Those are like your only two options, you know? That's right. And and this is so important because everyone can see what Paul talked about is we're all competent ministers. That's that's what we are all. And we're not all called to work in churches. A lot of us are going to work for secular businesses, just like what you work with. And that should be a point of contentment and then fulfillment. Because if they are, and, and how beautiful it is that you also believe in the the ability to hear from God directly the way you've described, when they know that they're doing the will of the Lord and he's with them, that makes a big difference in how they spend their time, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, you're exactly right. When you look at Ephesians 4, it says that God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right. So that we might grow up into the fullness of Christ. So when we look at this... um. We're looking for maturity and everyone's supposed to be equipped. So yeah. I, I think one of the tricks of the enemy is he put teachers first, then shepherds, then evangelists, then prophets, then apostles within the church. And where did, did the apostles go? In my opinion, they went to the marketplace. They're the CEOs, they're the entrepreneurs, they're the leaders today because they didn't know where their place was within the ecclesia. Mm. Now, when we understand the the word ecclesia, really what it is, it's a delegation that's sent out after a, a a conquering nation would conquer another group of people. So okay, that, let's hold that yeah. right there. This is too good, and we're up against a break, and we want to hear all about the Ecclesia when we return. My guest today is Demerick Patton from Crew. I'll be back in a moment. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, And yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Demerick Patton is my guest. He's with Crew, and uh, boy, uh, we we were kind of up against a cliffhanger as he's talking about his work and his ministry and uh, this whole concept of marketplace ministry where people are out there in the workforce. We need to see that God has got a, a place for you right there, and we should grow where we're planted. And you were just using that word. I love it. The the word ecclesia, the church in action, the kingdom of God, the the big church. And it's it's not just one local fellowship. It's the church universal, if you will. And uh, go ahead and pick that back yeah. up, if you will, man. Yeah, that was thank great. You. So ecclesia is a word that um, you can go and study, and it's rich with meaning. And Jesus adopted the word from the Roman culture 
And so this word was used in the context of when Rome would go and conquer a new territory, they would send an ecclesia, which was a delegation of people that would go and enculturate the newly conquered area with the language, because that's first and foremost, the values, the customs, and what we would consider to be the entire culture, which includes government structure and such of that new area. And they would have to do that and then put in their, their rulers and such so there wouldn't be an uprising. But they wanted to make them Roman. And so this is how they made everything Latin across the world. They Romanized it is the word that we use. Well, Jesus was adopting that word for the kingdom of God and saying that you are going to be the enculturators of heaven mm. to earth. And so they knew that they were being sent out. So Paul would have said, we're more than conquerors because we're enculturators. We, the conquering is being done by God, by his spirit. We are to make disciples of all nations. So when we make a disciple of a nation, it's different than just making a, a disciple of, an, of a person. This is where the ecclesia comes in, that we are changing the culture in every way that we can think of. Because if we leave the institutions that are endemic with some type of evil, with a system of evil, then that will reinforce the evil in people's lives. But if we change the actual culture, now discipleship is personal and the culture is reinforcing the habits that we're looking for, for an area that looks like the kingdom of heaven. It's mm -hmm. like with, with my kids, uh, they spend, in my opinion, probably too much time on social media, but we do track what they're looking at and what social media sites they get to use and all of that. However, it's not all probably even close to being biblical. I would really like it if what was coming through social media and what was being pushed on them all the time through those push, you know, notifications and such was actually biblically based. It was mm -hmm. kingdom. <clears throat> it was enculturating with the values that we are trying to reinforce at home and where they're getting, getting at school. So that's just a small uh, microcosm of what it looks like that when we start to think, okay, here are the, you probably heard of the seven mountains of culture. That mm -hmm. was something that, Bill Bright received in the 70s. He talked to Lauren Cunningham. He had received the same thing in Francis Schaeffer. All three of them received that same download about the same time of the seven mountains of culture. And that was just a way to look at how do we really go about influencing people in their lives. And so that's where that term came from. So when we talk about the seven mountains of culture, we're talking about how do we bring heaven in those areas to where now it's reinforcing the values of scripture, reinforcing the values of heaven and it's really a lifestyle mm -hmm. into people's lives. Yeah, it is. I know those uh, mountains are talked about a lot, even in this whole thing of transformational le leadership that you and I are part of in the area. And so these this ability to live out, whether you're in government, maybe you're in education, maybe you're in business, maybe you're in the church, maybe you're in media, maybe you're in arts, and there's one more, and I'm I'm missing it. I'm not sure what which one I've just missed. Let's see. Government. Did you say education? Education. So mm -hmm. education, government, arts, entertainment, faith, family. It was probably family. 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 Yep. Yeah, that's it. Well, and that's a great institution right mm -hmm. there. We need to have that one. That would be the seventh one. And these are areas that touch everybody's life, whether they realize it or not. And you'd say, well, a person that's not a believer, how is it that faith you know, well, we all serve somebody. And I like what you said earlier. Everything is worship. I mean, work is worship. We know that. Uh, and, and everyone's going to worship something. So it, it's not a question of if they're a person of faith. They are. It's mm -hmm. just in in what? <laughs> yeah. Or in whom? Yeah. I mean, that's the issue, right? I mean, we we are all worshipers, whether or not we are believers. People are worshiping something today. And the true church is going to emerge in all of those different spheres. That's right. So when you look at people's lives, when you look at addictions, when you look at what they're pursuing, when you look at really the desires of their heart, that indicates where their worship is. Yeah. We know from Psalm 37, 4, that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of he our heart. Does, so he yeah. puts right desires in our heart. I don't believe he answers all those desires right away. But I believe we get the right desires to live out of because he's putting them within our heart because we're delighting ourselves in him, his yeah. word, his spirit. So now we can start to be set free from the things that would have been uh, idols that we would have worshiped because it's knowing the truth. 
not the truth by itself, just standing out here by itself, but knowing the truth, having embraced it, that's what sets us free. So now we're no longer constrained by those idols of having to worship those things such as mammon. And what I find among even the community of faith is that many people are controlled by fear. Fear makes their decisions more than faith does, unfortunately. And it can be that way in my life. And God is still setting me free from fear. But there's a reason why God would have mentioned fear 365 times as the most oft-repeated command in the scripture, do not fear, because he knew that we would be, uh, we would have a proclivity to move towards fear and we make decisions from fear. Mm-hmm. And when we make a decision from fear, we will usually end up in a ditch. That's right. We're to, we're to fear God. That's a good kind of fear. Yeah, it's the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom. And yet we are not to live our lives with fear of what others can do. Mm-hmm. We should fear the Lord. And that is something that is so good. And, you know, I think without a doubt, we're seeing that we're living in a time right now where uh, people are really wanting something that is real something that is tangible, something that is not just this uh, manufactured words that are coming out and what we're being told. I mean, we're we're looking at what's going on in the world today. That's enough to cause fear right there. All that's happening in Israel. Uh, We are are possibly seeing the, the hand of the Lord begin to stir up people for what would become a, a revival. And that's what we're praying for. Wouldn't you yep. agree? Oh, I I completely believe that we are living in the days of what I would call the second exodus, where God is bringing us out of the Babylonian system. And I know this might be uh, hard to explain in such a short time, but we've been under a system for a long time that has kept us blind to what's really happening, who really controls things. Like if we look at the situation that's current right now in Israel, to be able to say who's right and who's wrong, I think it's I think it's a little bit you know deeper than that. You have to look at well who's funding it, who does it benefit ultimately, mm-hmm. and so the enemy is always trying to do something to keep us from seeing what God is doing, and I believe that God has something in motion. We started to see it last year in Kentucky, at Asbury. There were other colleges, and by the way, there are other colleges all over, and there's 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 cities, there's towns, there's right. churches that are experiencing a move of God right now that I believe will not end. I personally believe that this is just my belief. We're moving into a great awakening and a revival across the earth that will be multi-decadenal. And we will see over a billion, maybe 2 billion people come into the kingdom in that time. And it will be unending. The revivals of the past ended. My personal belief is this one won't end until the return of Jesus. Now, what that looks like when he returns, I don't know. Years ago when I was praying, I really believed that the Lord said that he wouldn't return in my lifetime. And I'm okay with that. I mean, everybody, some people want him to return in their lifetime. Others don't for whatever reason. I know when I was a kid, I was like, well, I want to have a family. And my girls tell me that too. I I want to have (laughs) a family. I want to get married. And I I think God, God puts that in our hearts. He's going to return. There's no doubt about that. When, you know, believers have always thought, well, these are all the signs it's, it's happening right now. And I'm like, believers have said that every generation has said Jesus is returning in their lifetime because they looked at the signs and thought that was it. So I'm, I'm like, okay, God's going to be God. He controls the time and seasons. We know that from Daniel two, Daniel seven, Ecclesiastes, Jesus said that only the father knows the times and dates. He's the one. So we're going to leave him in charge there. That's Um, right. He knows we don't. And we're, and we're going to pray for the right things along the way. We're going to pray that he will stay as many of the evils that that the enemy has planned to perpetrate, that they do not come to pass. I personally have a belief that we see very little of what the enemy had planned actually come to pass. So when we see a tragedy, the enemy had planned for such a much bigger tragedy than actually happened and that God was actually protecting us, even though we don't always see it. Yeah. We don't see those angels that are always around Mm -hmm. and we just sometimes forget that they are. Yeah. There are still around though. Yeah. Angels watching over us. Oh yeah. I, I think we, we each are assigned um, one or even two angels at our birth. Um, some people call them protection angel, guardian angel, and they protect us. And so some people think there's two because one will get a rest and go up to heaven, get new instructions. The other will come back down because we're a mess. We take a <laughs> lot of work and a lot of protection. Wear them out. <laughs> and then, That's and then we know there are other angels. There's the host of heaven, the host led. Um, yeah. Uh, Israel out of Egypt, it says that. So we we can see that there are many creatures that we don't, we wouldn't even know how to describe them if we saw them just because the the Bible doesn't tell us 
every creature right. that God's created in heaven and how they interact with us. But we know that God's created them all for a purpose. And whether it's worship of him, protection of us, or going to battle, or, or whatever it might be. We've got a couple of minutes left. Tell yeah. us what's ahead in 2023 for you. Yeah, so for the, the rest of this year, I'm continuing to work with entrepreneurs and leaders in the city. I work with the area of crew is called city. In that, there's different distinctions. I work specifically with the area called professionals. And so I just finished up doing a training called Enduring Entrepreneurship. I have it on a personal Rumble channel. It's just rumble.com slash user slash Demerick if someone wanted to look into that. My name's spelled D-E-M-A-R-I-C-K. And so that that was something that I did where I answered that question of how do you bring heaven to earth through your business or whatever God's called you to mm -hmm. do. Um, in that now, I'm following up with people and I'm working with another guy where we're looking expanding into other places where we can influence entrepreneurs and really help them consider, you know, what does it look like for them to bring heaven to earth? How do they make disciples through their business? Because they can make disciples of their employees. They have to know how to do it in a right way. But if mm -hmm. they see themselves as a pastor of their business, they can have a great influence. And so that's part of this year. And then I'm, I also work part-time with another company called New Village Initiative. And with them, this really fits into my dream of building cities because New Village Initiative has technology that um, they're able to build affordable housing. So the houses that you currently see, we could build them about 30% with the, with the technology that we have. And then um, we also have education. We're really focused on education. We have a, a school in Pennsylvania. Uh, where you can learn auto and diesel trades. And so we want to create jobs. And then we also want to make disciples. And so the three things are, are housing, job creation, and making disciples. Those are the priorities. Well, there's a lot going on in your life, my yeah. friend. That's it. And how can people find out more information? Do you have a personal website? Um, I haven't launched it yet, but it is DemerickPatton.com. And then um, with my Rumble channel, you can find me on there that I mentioned. It's mm -hmm. just rumble.com slash user slash Demerick, D-E-M-A-R-I-C-K. And um, if you wanted to write me on email, I have a Gmail address that's just Demerick period Patton. And my last name is spelled like the general, P-A-T-T-O-N, at gmail.com. And how can they uh, contribute to if they'd like to take part in your ministry with crew? Oh, well, thank you for that. So if you wanted to give a gift um, to us, to Beth and Demerick, um, you would go to, I think it's give.crew.org, and then you could look us up as either our, under our name or our staff account number, which is 0473470. That's 0473470. And crew is spelled C-R-U. That's correct. Not, not like what you might think. Demrick, it's been great to have you with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been a lot of fun to hear your story and to catch your vision, man. I love it. And we'll be back again next time. Thank you, friends, for listening to us here on The Shepherd on Afternoons with Mike. 